Well, good afternoon. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. And we are uh, in our very final uh, week of our series, uh, Hello, My Name Is. And we've just been looking at relationships, and it's just... uh, It's one of those pieces of all of our lives every day. And for all of us, we've had great moments in life, right? Moments of laughter and joy and happiness. And those moments are surrounded with with, uh, names and faces of people that that mean so much to us. And then we've also had kind of the opposite moments, moments filled with tension and anger and disappointment. And those moments as well are attached to names and faces of people in our lives. And so I was thinking through just, you know, how do we bring this kind of to an end? I mean, the series, that is, because like tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and we're, we'll have more moments of joy and mo- more moments of tension, more moments that give us life and more moments that uh, just suck the life out of us. And they're all going to be attached to names and faces. And so, you know, how do we just kind of uh, uh, just bring this series, this page of our life to, to kind of conclusion, but tomorrow there's going to be a new blank page to start filling up. And uh, I started thinking just about the Bible in its entire context. And that storyline that truly goes from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. And I get that for thousands of years, there's been great intellects and great theologians that have debated the doctrinal components of the Bible. I'm not talking about those debates. I'm talking about if we just simplify the Bible all down, what what is that one storyline? It's simply this, that God, the creator, desperately wants a relationship with his creation, with us. I mean, that's, that, that is the storyline of the Bible. And we see it over and over and over again. God, the creator, desperately wanting to have a relationship with people and fighting to have a relationship with people and doing whatever he can to make those connections with people. So much so that God, the son, came down to this earth in form of a man to walk on this earth, to die so that everyone, everyone would have an opportunity to have a relationship with God, not just in their dash, but for eternity. And then I started thinking about God the Son, Jesus, and the different relational connections he had that are revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books that tell the story of Jesus. And he had many different relational connection points and friends and acquaintances, but there was one relationship that we know the most about. One friendship that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John revealed the most about. And that was with a guy named Simon. And that was his original name. He also goes by Peter, Cephas, and my personal favorite, Rock. I mean, that's just a great name. And the first time we connect uh, uh, with Peter and Jesus, the first time we see their lives intersect was actually in Peter's home. You see, the rumor mill about this guy named Jesus was running rampant. Everyone was talking about this guy named Jesus that could heal people, right? That would get any rumor mill going. And on this day, Jesus shows up at Peter's house. 
And in this moment, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, who is gravely ill. Heals her. I mean, my question truly is, do you think Peter actually wanted him to heal his mother-in-law? But he does, anyway. And intrigue sets in. Wouldn't it for you? I mean, for me, it would. It's one thing to hear about a guy that can heal people, but when you see it in your house and you know your mother-in-law, that's something. The second encounter was after a long, hard day's work, Peter and his other business associates were cleaning up the boats and mending the nets and putting the nets away and the other, uh, the other fishing equipment away. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he climbs into Peter's boat. He doesn't ask. He doesn't say, hey, can I borrow your boat? He just does. And then he asks Peter, hey, Peter, can you move this boat off the, sh- off the shore just a little bit? You see, there's a crowd of people and I'm going to teach And I'm sure Peter was put out a little bit because, again, it was at the end of a very hard day's work, and he just wants to eat dinner and go home. But Jesus did heal his mother-in-law. There's kind of a debt of gratitude to be given, and so he does. He climbs in the boat and gets it offshore a little bit. Jesus does his teaching thing, and then Jesus looks at Peter and says, Hey, Peter. Why don't you take the boat out deeper? And why don't you throw those clean nets, those mended nets, why don't you throw them back into the water? I'm sure somewhere in the depth of Peter's heart that hit a nerve. And with a healthy amount of skepticism and sarcasm, Peter responds to this man named Jesus hey, we haven't caught any fish all day. Not one. And then I think that Peter started to think in his mind, like, who is this guy? Obviously, he's not a fisherman. Obviously, he hasn't been through generation after generation after generation of fishermen, and now he's inherited that skill. I'm sure Peter stood there in that moment going, who is he? And and remember, at this point, it's not like Jesus had a name tag on that said, hello, my name is, and filled on the white space was God the Son, right? Like There's no clue. He just knows it's some guy named Jesus that's doing some pretty whacked out things. But Peter decided to move the boat into deeper waters and to drop the nets into the waters. Was it faith? Faith in what? Faith in who? Again, I mean, the whole thought about Jesus, God's son, that that was a foreign concept. I mean, that wouldn't even have possibly entered his mind at this moment. Was it belief? Again, belief in what? Belief in who? Jesus was some stranger that... Well, yeah, he healed his mother-in-law, but I wonder, I wonder if it was more curiosity. I wonder if Peter sat there or stood there in that moment and just thought to himself, well, let's see what he's made of. 
did he get lucky in that moment in my house healing my mother-in-law? I mean, was it just luck? Like just he showed up and she got better in that day? I wonder if Peter sat there for a moment going, yeah, I know my mother-in-law was sick, but man, she is, she is drama. Maybe she was acting a little bit more sick than she was. Maybe Jesus really didn't heal her. Let's see what he has now on my turf. And those nets hit the water. And in a moment, fish, not one, not a few, not a good day's catch, but so many fish that Peter had to yell to, to the shore for them to bring another boat out. So many fish that, that it filled both boats. And as they desperately tried to get those boats back to the shore, the boat started to sink. Well, they made it to the shore. Peter climbs out of the boat and Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. Fear? Come on, he's a fisherman. He, he can't afford to be afraid. I mean, think about the number of times that they had been on the lake. They, they call it the Sea of Galilee. It's a massive lake. I mean, it's huge. And these big storms would, would come up suddenly in huge waves, and they would have to fight to get back to the shore. Afraid? Or those moments where those waves capsized their boats and they knew that their lives were in their hands and they had to somehow survive. Afraid? You can't be a fisherman and be afraid. But Jesus saw into his heart. He saw in the dark corners of his heart fear. And that fear would come back and play a significant part in his life. And then Jesus said to Peter and his work associates, James and John, he said, hey, come follow me. And they did. They, they left everything and started following this man named Jesus. Was it just an impulsive reaction? Probably. Was it driven by curiosity and intrigue? Probably. But there was also this gravitational pull within them that was pulling them. And they probably couldn't articulate what that was, but there was something else beyond intrigue, beyond curiosity, that made them leave and follow. And so they did. They walked with Jesus. They saw him reach out one day and touch a man that had this infectious skin disease. I mean, touch him and heal him. They listened to Jesus teach as he poked at the religious elite. They loved that. They saw a guy that couldn't walk, and then all of a sudden, before their eyes, he got up and walked. One day, Jesus walked up to a man sitting at this big table, kind of the entrance of the city they were in, and and uh, he said, hey, why don't you come and why don't you follow me? And that infuriated them because no one liked that man. He was rich and he was powerful. He got his power from Rome and his wealth from the people in the community. And they despised him. And they grumbled going, well, why, why, did it, why did Jesus ask him? And then one day Jesus stopped. 
And by this time, there's this large crowd of people that were following Jesus from city to city, from point to point. Why? Because uh, they considered him a, a great rabbi, a great teacher, a wise man of God. And so they were following him because he was teaching some really captivating thoughts. And on this day, Jesus turned around to this large group of people and he started picking you, 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 you. And Peter was one of them, chosen, chosen. In the section of my notes called Chris's Opinions, this is in that section, I wonder if somewhere in Peter's heart, this this elitism crept in. I mean, we've all experienced it before. I mean, think back to eighth grade dodgeball, right? Two captains starts picking, and you just know to be picked first is something, right? Be picked second's okay, but to be the last one, I mean, right, the last person's not really picked. The last one standing there is like, oh, you, right? And Peter's standing there going, yep, you didn't get picked. I got picked. One day, Jesus was teaching. He was in a house and a woman shows up. A woman in the community that had words written all over her, words like scorn and scandal and shame. And Jesus looks at her in the eyes which everyone around, I mean, this is a powerful moment because it was Jesus saying, I see you. It was Jesus saying to everyone else, as he looked her in the eyes, you have value to me. It was Jesus saying to everyone else, you see scorn and shame and scandal and I see someone different. And you see everyone in the room had given her a name. You want to know what her name was? Sinner. And as Jesus talked with this lady, looking her in the eyes, all of a sudden the conversation shifted. And as he looked at her, he starts talking to Peter. I mean, now it's a little awkward for everyone because he's staring at her. And as he starts talking to Peter, he lets Peter know that he's deficient in a very important area. The area of love. Oh yes, love that would come back in a significant way as well. One day, Peter wanted to test this man named Jesus. They were on his fishing boat, his turf, his territory. And all of a sudden, they looked across the water, and Peter sees this man walking on the water towards him, which is a whole nother story for another day. And Peter wanted to throw out a challenge, so he screams out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walk on the water. I want to do that. That's a cool thing to be able to do. And with one word, Jesus accepted the challenge. He said, come. Peter gets one leg out of the boat and another leg out of the boat. Probably took a little toe and touched the water. Not to see if it was cold, to see if he could like stick his toe underneath the water. Took a step on the water, took another step on the water. And then doubt took over his heart, and he began to sink. And Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand and saved him. But you see, that wouldn't be the last time Jesus reached out and saved him. 
Jesus started talking more and more and more about his purpose on this earth and why he came and what he was about to do. And as he talked more and more about this, you know, people had more questions because they were trying to understand what Jesus was saying. And so one day, Peter really showed how unaware he truly was about everything Jesus was teaching. And Peter was this guy that spoke first and thought second. And in this moment, he just blurts out, Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus came back at him, Peter, why are you so dull? Why don't you get what I'm saying? Peter also became an, an antagonist against Jesus. As Jesus talked more and more and more about his purpose and his mission and what was going to happen, his death, one day, Peter, and I could imagine that he had his hand on his sword, whether he did or not, we don't know. But in this moment, as Jesus was talking about his impending death, I could just picture Peter hand on sword, and then he says, not on my watch. I'm not going to let anyone kill you, Jesus. I got your back. Now, I don't know about these other people sitting around. They might be cowards, but not me. I won't allow you to die. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Then one night, Jesus had a bowl of water and a towel over his arms, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. And uh, that was an action reserved only for the slaves of the house. But Jesus, in this amazing act of servant leadership, he starts to wash their feet comes to Peter, and Peter's like, no, you can't wash my feet. And so Jesus just says, fine, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part of me. And then Peter reveals some of his self-centeredness, and he goes, okay, fine, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. And then after dinner one night, Jesus leans back and begins uh, begins to talk. At this point, everyone around this dinner table, those that were closest to Jesus, Jesus' closest friends, they kind of lean in because Jesus is talking. And Jesus looks at Peter. says, hey, hey, Peter, not once, not twice, three times. Yep, three times, Peter, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny that you know me. You will walk away from me. And defensiveness just exploded out of Peter's heart. Not me. These other guys, they might. These other guys, they will. But not me, Jesus. I'm Peter. We're friends. Not me. Not me. And when Jesus walked into the garden, he looked at Peter and said, Hey, Peter. Will you stay up and just keep watch out while I go in and pray? Just keep watch, Peter. And not once and not twice, but three times when Jesus returned, he found Peter asleep. How self-absorbed can one person be? And when Judas walked up and kissed Jesus on the cheek, and as the high priest was getting ready to arrest Jesus, Peter 
took his sword out and cut off the high priest's servant's ears, ear. And in that moment, Jesus looked in Peter's eyes. How disconnected, Peter, are you from the reality of my purpose here on earth and what's coming to me on the cross? And as the high priest and his guards led Jesus onto tri into trial, it wasn't Peter standing next to Jesus, and Peter wasn't, only, uh, wasn't just a few steps behind Jesus. Peter reluctantly walked in the shadows, watching Jesus from a distance. And when a small teenage servant, servant girl walked up to Peter and said, aren't you one of them, those that are friends with Jesus? He said, no. Coward. Teenage servant girl. What was she going to do? Scream at him with a high-pitched voice? And when someone else walked up to Peter and said, no, 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 really, you're one of them. He said, no. Liar. And when Malchus, a relative of the servant of the high priest, the one that Peter cut off his ear just earlier, walked up to him and said, no, no, really. You were in the garden with Jesus. I've heard the story. Peter said, no, traitor. And as Jesus hung on the cross, where was Peter? Where was he? You see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at the foot of the cross, and Mary's sister was there, and Mary Magdalene was there, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, was there. It was a Mary convention. And John, the beloved disciple, was there. But where was Peter? Not there. Lever. And when Peter heard that the tomb was empty, he wasn't the first one there. He didn't run that fast. But he got there and he walked through the empty tomb and he left confused. I think about Peter and his friendship with Jesus. And I think through it through my own set of lenses and I think about the friends, the relationships in my life over the past years, friends that I have severed the friendship for just a fraction of what Peter did to Jesus. Oh, Peter did some great things too. I mean, not many, but he did do a few things. For instance, he was the first one to say that Jesus was the Messiah. And definitely he said it with his mouth. I'm not sure how much he believed it in his heart. And Peter was the guy that Jesus looked at and changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And Jesus did say, upon you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. But there's not many more. There's a period of days that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he walked and talked with people 
and people literally touched him to make sure he was real. People had conversations with them. And in this period of days, you could just imagine the confusion and the emotion and the tension and the questions and people trying to understand what was going on in front of them. And then we find right towards the end, before Jesus ascended into heaven, this moment. It was almost just like that, that, that first moment that Peter and Jesus interacted on the boat. You see, Peter was back on his fishing boat. It was a place of comfort. Usually when we have intense moments in life, when we have moments that we quite don't understand, we have moments that overwhelm us emotionally, usually we retreat to those places of comfort. And that's where Peter found himself, back in that area of comfort, his boat. And all of a sudden, as they're fishing, and they're still not catching any fish, which I'm like, man, maybe you should find a new job. Jesus shows up on the shore and screams out to them. Throw your nets in again. You might catch some fish. And so they did. And this time, Peter just did. He didn't respond with skepticism or sarcasm. He just does. And guess what they did? They caught fish. They came ashore and Jesus had built a fire and they ate together. And I just wonder, I just wonder, Peter sitting there uh, around this fire, if his mind wasn't just completely consumed with guilt and shame. And I wonder if he sat there the entire meal thinking to himself, what's, what's Jesus going to say to me? What's he going to say to me? What's he going to say to me? I'll beat him to it. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just apologize, but I can, how can you apologize for everything I've done? And I'm sure his spirit and his mind was just wrecked with all of these emotions and guilt and shame. And then Jesus looked at him and asked him a question. Now, in this moment, I mean, if, you're, if you were in Jesus' shoes, not Jesus, the Son of God, just Jesus as a person. If you were in his shoes and you had a friend like Peter who did all of those things to you, what, was a, what would be the question you would ask that person? I know what I would ask him. Where were you when I needed you the most? Where were you when my life was falling apart? Where were you? when they were arresting me? Where were you when I was dying? Where were you? I thought we were friends, but I guess your actions communicate a different storyline. That's what I would say. Jesus looks at his friend and says, Simon, son of John. Now this is great. Remember, uh, Simon's name was Peter or Cephas Rock. It was Jesus who changed his name from Simon to Peter. Jesus gave him that name. But yet in this moment, he looks at his friend and he says, Simon, let's go way back to that first moment in your house. I know you didn't want me to heal your mother-in-law. Oh, wait, that's not in the Bible. But let's go back to that moment. And Simon, let's go back to that moment when when we were in the boat together and I said, no, throw the nets back in. And I know what you were thinking with your skepticism and your sarcasm. And Simon, let's go back to all of these moments because I know you and we're friends and we've been through a lot together. And he goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Meaning all the other people sitting around the fire, which got a little awkward if you think about it. 
And Simon replies, you know I love you. Then Jesus asks him a second question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, he has to be getting a little frustrated because he just answered the question. And he's having to look at Jesus going, dude, have, have you lost it? You just asked me that. And he goes, you know I love you. And then Jesus asks him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now it hit a nerve. And he says, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. You know about my skepticism. You know about my sarcasm. You know those moments that I was your antagonist. You know all things. You know that I betrayed you three times, and I fell asleep three times, and I wasn't there when you were dying. And I showed up at the tomb with more skepticism. but you still know that I love you because you know all things. You think about that moment. That Jesus is someone who so desperately wants to redeem relationships. I mean, Jesus could have said, hey, 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 Simon, let's talk through everything you've done against me. I got the list here. It's pretty long. Let's go. but with one question. And then Jesus said this, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now everyone around that circle understood what Jesus was saying to Peter. But John, the author of this gospel, wanted to make sure that everyone for years and years to come would really understand this point. And so John wrote in verse 19, he made sure he clarified this. Jesus said this to indicate, indicate that kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Saying, hey, Peter, you're going to die. And history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. And then Jesus said to him, follow me, follow me. You see, that first time on the shore of that lake, Jesus said, follow me. And then now, at the end of this period of Peter's life, and Jesus was going to send up into heaven, and Peter was going to do great things for God's kingdom. Jesus comes back to him and asks him the same question, makes the same statement, follow me. Follow me. And for all of you here today, take a moment and think about Peter's life, the snapshot that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus is saying to every one of you, follow me. And maybe you're like Peter. I mean, early on, and maybe you're just intrigued with this whole idea of Jesus. Maybe you have some curiosity, maybe a whole lot of skepticism, maybe even some sarcasm. 
But there's something within you that's pulling you, and you can't explain it. You know what Jesus is saying to you? Great. I'm fine with your intrigue, your curiosity, your skepticism, your sarcasm. Fine. Just follow. Follow. Ask your questions. Figure this out. And for some of you, that's where you are. And I want you to know Jesus is saying to you, just follow. He's fine with you. He's fine where you are. You are spiritually. And maybe for some of you, you've been following, working out your skepticism and your intrigue and your sarcasm, your curiosity, and now you're ready to turn and trust in Jesus. The big word is salvation. And I don't think, again, we don't know for sure, but I don't think Peter fully realized that Jesus was the son of God until that moment on the shore when he looked at him and said, do you love me? I think at that moment, everything came together. At that moment, Peter goes, oh, I now get what you've been saying. It was way, way, way into their friendship and their relationship. Maybe that's you. And guess what? Salvation costs you nothing. Jesus paid it all. And for some of you, You've turned and you've trusted in Jesus and now Jesus is looking at you saying, follow me. And actually that last follow me, the the literal translation is, keep on following me. It's this active, progressive movement into the future. And Jesus is saying to you, okay, you've turned and trusted now. Will you partner with me to reach the everyone? And here's a powerful picture of that. When Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me, Jesus is saying, upon this rock, upon imperfect people, I'm going to build my church. People like you and me. So maybe for you, Jesus is saying, follow me. Join him in his mission and purpose to reach everyone. Where are you? What step do you need to take?